0: Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everybody. Welcome to Fired Up, the podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I'm your host, and I want to thank you for joining me again today. Well, here we are. We are at the eve of the midterm elections here in the U.S. We're going to, of course, talk about some of the uh, stories related to the midterms. But first, as always, we're going to do our numbers breakdown. Uh, for the COVID pandemic, uh, we are at 97.53 million cases. Uh, 1.071 million people have died from the disease and 637 million people have received vaccinations against the disease. On the monkeypox front, we're currently at 28,657 cases here in the U.S., uh, continues to uh, grow slowly, but does continue to grow. So, you know, the, the COVID and monkeypox, and of course, we are now coming into flu season, which means that in addition, if you haven't gotten vaccinated against COVID, uh, you should seriously consider getting a vaccination uh, for the flu uh, included in that so that you are protected. Uh, the medical community is saying The flu season this year is uh, setting up to be uh, another challenging uh, season for us, Uh, so make sure you get out there and get your flu vaccination. Uh, It's just a good, smart thing to do. All right, here we are. This show is coming out on the Monday before Election Day here in the U.S., and uh, I, for one will be hopefully happy to see Election Day come and go so that maybe, just maybe, uh, all of the political ads will disappear for at least a short time until we start ramping up, of course, for the 2024 general election. But I could definitely do with a vacation from political ads of all types, whether it's issue, whether it's attack, whether it's, you know, calling people out and so forth, uh, I, I, for one, and I imagine you know many of you are as well, uh, somewhat sick of political ads. Uh, you can't walk three steps without seeing, hearing, reading, uh, or you know, otherwise being inundated with political advertisements. So if those can go away, even for a short period of time, I, for one, will be a happy camper. Um, As we talk about the upcoming election, and we are going to talk about a couple of aspects of it, uh, the first thing is, uh, just to give you some information and some additional numbers, as of Sunday, uh, early voting numbers uh, have totaled 41,348,158 people who have either voted early or submitted early mail-in ballots uh, at, at the na- you know, for the national races, uh, all totaled up. Uh, the source, which is um, Target Smart, has uh, data on it that shows that 45% of the early voting uh, has been Democratic, 35% has been Republican, and 20% is counted as other. So, you know, Democrats are showing a 10 percentage point lead in the number of early ballots being cast. And again, keep in mind that those numbers are an aggregate of the totals nationally uh, in, you know, specific states and specific, uh, you know, regions and districts. Uh, The numbers vary widely in terms of uh, who holds leads, uh, Democrats versus Republicans uh, or versus other. So while the numbers where you are may be different, you know when you collect them all up nationally, this is how they show up. So you know you can't necessarily translate that ten percentage point lead from Democrats in early voting into you know a a massive win for Democrats. Uh, It is still up in the air as to you know which party will come out on top. You know, even though current wisdom is that the Republicans are highly likely to take control of the House, and we've talked about that here on this show before, uh, that resides largely uh, to the uh, just decades-long effort at gerrymandering districts in red states uh, to give them that perpetual advantage. Uh, but you know, it, it is still possible that in some races, particularly in so-called uh, swing states or battleground states, that uh, Democrats uh, may, in fact, win the day. Uh, we will just have to wait and see, and of course, um, we will do something of a postmortem on our next podcast, which will come out, you know, a week from uh, today, right here on WJMS Media or wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, and we'll have more information and discussion on uh, exactly what the midterm elections mean. Uh, we are going to uh, get into a little bit of speculative, uh, you know, prediction on what could happen, and you know, more importantly, talk about you know what uh, will it mean for the country. You know, should Democrats Uh, you know, retain control, for example, of the Senate uh, or, you know, and or Republicans gain the House uh, but aren't able to uh, take the Senate and so forth, or that Republicans take both houses, the Senate and the House of Representatives. You know, the the question of the day, the week, the month, and the years (laughs) going forward are what exactly will you know those scenarios mean uh, for not only politics but everyday living in the United States for the next two years Uh, when we go through this again as part of the general election when you know representatives will be back up for re-election and another third of the Senate will be up for election so this is how US politics works. This is what we do every two years uh, uh, along whether it's the midterm elections or the general. This is the way the process uh, works out. So to the to the question I posed, what you know what would be likely to be the outcome for the country if for example we look at scenario one where, the Republicans, as I said, uh, widely expected uh, to take the House of Representatives, uh, yet the Democrats retain control of the Senate. What will that likely mean? Well, a couple of things. The Republicans have already processed, uh, I'm sorry, processed, promised that if they uh, get the House that one of the things they are going to undertake is an impeachment campaign, uh, against Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and others uh, in in order to you know, remove them from office. Well, if the Democrats vote up, I'm sorry, if the Republicans, excuse me, vote up articles of impeachment for, you know, President Biden and Vice President Harris and the Democrats control the Senate, that would go absolutely nowhere. Uh, with, the Democrat, yeah, with the Democrats in control of the Senate, they would, of course, vote down any impeachment effort against uh, the sitting president and vice president. Um, and not only that, Republicans uh, would be wise to consider the ramifications of, you know, bringing such a vote uh, in terms of, you know, perceived voter backlash that might occur. Uh, so that's a non-starter. But the Republicans are talking about other actions that they want to take should they gain control of the House, and among these are, you know, uh, changes to uh, the the privacy laws that would affect uh, LGBTQ, uh, gay marriage, uh, interracial marriage, you know, all a whole raft of things that were outlined. In comments made by Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito in his opinion uh, in the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. So, you know, the Republicans can, you know, embark on something of a crusade against voter rights against, you know, regular the the rights of all of us, uh, should they take over the House, you know, and you know, there, there are some others and we're going to talk about a couple of uh, scenarios that are out there. But, you know, some that come to mind are a uh, change that we've heard presented in the news in the last month or so, maybe longer, where uh, several Republican members of the House and the Senate have talked about actions they would uh, take against Social Security, uh, Medicare, and Medicaid. Uh, One of the things that they are proposing, uh, or one of the two things that uh, has come up in the proposals, rather, is that uh, Social Security and Medicare would be put on a five-year revolving review where every five years, Uh, the programs would need to be reviewed and approved uh, by the House and Senate uh, in order to continue them uh, working. Uh, There was a a, a variant of that that was proposed, I believe, by um, Senator Ron Johnson where that cycle would actually occur annually, that it would be put in as part of the annual appropriations process whether or not Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid would continue to receive funding from the government. Um, now, this is, this is something, and, and I've talked about this on this program before, uh, where Republicans have, especially in the last uh, seven or eight years, have been very big on saying uh, what they want to do without giving any details as to how they would do it. Now, if you think about it, and, and for those of you, by the way, who you know, are, are going to go into the polling places tomorrow, think about this as, as part of the process uh, when you go into that, that voting booth or when you step up to that voting machine to cast your ballot. Uh, if the Republicans get their wish and get uh, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid uh, on these uh, cyclical revolving approval plans, what is that going to mean to those Republicans who are you know, receiving Social Security, receiving Medicare and Medicaid, and those that will become eligible? Uh, related to this, one of the proposals is to move the retirement age from where it is now at um, 62 and a half and 65 and 70, where it would start at 70. So that would push many people, you know, again, as, as many as seven years out of eligibility for these programs when, in fact, they might be most needed. And, you know, the, the need for Social Security isn't just a Democrat need. You know, there are you know, tens of millions of uh, American citizens who are age-eligible for Social Security uh, who happen to be Republican. So if, if you look at this as, as some way of you know, owning the Dems, as it were, keep in mind that this is a two-edged sword that's going to cut Republican uh, benefits as well. So, you know, your, your aunts and uncles and grandparents and parents who are of the age uh, to be eligible for these programs, they're going to get cut out of them as well. Uh, this is not going to be a case where they just say, okay, we're cutting Social Security, but only for Democrats. That's not how this will work. Um, be aware. Think about that. Uh, these, you know, again... Reviewing Social Security, reviewing Medicare and Medicaid as part of a a periodic process uh, is fine, you know, to make sure that, you know, it is it is holding up with what the current uh, economic and and conditions are. I mean, that's the way the programs work now. They haven't, you know, Social Security has an annual uh, cost of living uh, assessment. And, you know, each year, uh, based on what happened with the cost of living, uh, Social Security benefits may increase or may decrease. So, you know, that's already baked into the cake r- or, uh, you know, right now. But this notion that, you know, every five years or every one year that, you know, the, the House and Senate would sit down, you know, open up the books and look at Social Security uh, and say, okay, we're not going to uh, continue Social Security. And, you know, we will come back and revisit this in five years. So we could be in a situation where, you know, you get Social Security. And then in year six, when Congress says, nope, no more, they're turning off the spigot. So, you know, no more money will flow. Well, then what will you do? You know, if you're living on Social Security income, you know, you you depend on that check and, you know, having it just stop every one year or every five years because somebody in in Congress um, has their, you know, you know, what's in a bunch and decides we're going to cut it off uh, for right now. Uh, That is not only um, unwise, it's unfair You know, it is it is vindictive and it's going to impact across the board. It's going to impact Democrats. It's going to impact minorities. It's going to impact women. It's going to impact, you know, elderly uh, retirees. It's going to impact people in rural areas as well. So, you know, things to think about uh, for those of you who uh, are still going to go in person and vote. And, you know, full disclosure, I count myself among that that group uh, primarily because I like the feeling of being in control of my ballot up to the very second that it goes into the, the registration system for counting. I like to know that it went from my brain to the voting machine and I'm the only one that handled it. So, you know, for, for those that are are still out there who have not yet voted who are gonna go tomorrow and please do go go vote um you know that is something that you need to consider so you know what else what else could be ramifications from what happens in these midterms well if republicans gain control of both houses then all bets are off for things like uh You know, the the aforementioned, you know, LGBTQ uh, rights and gay marriage and, you know, know, equality uh, issues that we've talked about on this show going back over the last few months. Um, Here's a here's a very real example. There there is a case coming before the Supreme Court. Now, we've already had, you know, one uh, major case uh, come through the court. Uh, And that would be Dobbs. Uh, There is another one uh, based on the uh, the uh, case coming out of North Carolina, uh, Harper versus Moore, I believe it is. And, you know, here is yet another one where a case is coming to the Supreme Court uh, based on a suit that was filed by the daughter of a uh, assisted living or nursing home resident. Uh, who was uh, allegedly mis- mistreated. Um, she filed a lawsuit in 2019 alleging that her father's rights were violated at a nursing home where he resided to get 24-7 care for his dementia. You know, She cites he went from being able to walk and talk to not being able to move. Uh, so what they're saying is she's uh, trying to sue the healthcare system that ran the nursing home uh, there's a case that was brought before uh, the courts in uh, where this was being looked at uh, to be, you know, overturned. Uh, and if if it was overturned, that would mean that we, and when I say we, I mean, you know, people who take care of our elders uh, would not be able to sue the state. Or the agencies uh, to to address any wrongdoings that would happen, uh, you know, and that could include you know medical malpractice, that could include uh, abusive treatment, that you know a whole range of things that we hear about in the news that happens in nursing homes, and we would not have any recourse in addressing that, and having my father. Uh, living in an assisted living facility uh, that I entrust with his care, uh, this hits close to home for me. So, you know, the, the key is there are more things than just poll numbers that you need to be thinking about uh, before you go into that voting booth uh, and cast your ballot. You know, and this is among them. What's going to happen, uh, whether it's, you know, Whether you're voting Democrat, whether you're voting Republican, whether you're voting independent. If these things happen, what is that going to mean for, you know, for me and for my family? And, you know, don't just believe that these laws are going to impact poor people only uh, in minority communities in urban areas uh, of, of of the country. These laws are going to impact all across the demographics uh, of this country. It's going to impact people in rural communities. It's going to impact, you know, elderly white people, elderly black people, Asian, you know, Hispanic, whatever. Um, You know, and the Republicans, you know, when they're touting the benefits of these plans, don't bring that little extra piece that says, oh, yeah, this is going to affect everybody. So when you're when you're selecting who it is that represents you, as we talk about on this show, about being informed and getting your your information from multiple sources, keep in mind that these laws are going to apply to everyone. They are not just going uh, to apply you to know, one group or another or you know, stop working at certain income levels. So, just some, some food for thought there. And an additional point to consider. You know, on this program, we talk about engaging with our elected officials. And this is exactly uh, illustrative of what that point means. So, if you hear that your elected officials, regardless of party, is proposing uh, legislation, uh, it is in your interest and our interest that you get in touch with them and find out, you know, one, how is this going to be implemented? Who is going to be impacted by it? Um, Not just, it's not just about the dollars, you know, or the political optics of what this means. We have to look at how this is going to affect our daily lives. And that's also why it is important that we make sure that we are engaging with our state and local officials because they have the day-to-day impacts on our lives. You know, as this article cites, you know, this is where uh, an individual has brought a case because of uh, an abuse situation for her loved one that is going to have you know, ramifications not only for the rest of her state, but potentially for uh, the rest of the country as well. Because it does something very, very important particularly at the Supreme Court level, is it sets a precedent. It sets a rule that future justices of the Supreme Court can go back and reference when these type of cases come up or when cases come up that may have some of the same elements as this. So a decision that you know uh, goes against what would seem to be the, the common human decency aspects of this, are going to have wide ranging and long term impacts on how laws are applied uh, going forward. Um, so, you know, that is something else to keep in mind uh, as you're going into the polling place. Don't just look at, you know, who's leading based on some, you know, blah, blah, blah poll, um, and look at what the candidates, what your officials, are talking about doing it's one thing for you know political candidates to tell you my plan is abc what we need to be challenging them on is okay assume we get that in place how is it going to work what is your what is the plan for implementing this how is this going to impact me and beyond just dollars, we're talking about how is this going to impact my life day to day. So you know, if we're talking about uh, laws that are proposed to uh, impact what's taught in schools, for example, big discussions that have been going on for the last few years about things like critical race theory. Um, how is that going to impact my child? How is it going to be executed? How is it going to be run? not just how is it going to be funded. Politicians these days are very big in talking about how much money is being spent and talking very little about how much impact these these laws are having on all of us day to day. It's one thing I I never hear asked in a question when, you know, a politician is being asked about some legislative agenda that they are proposing where the the questions are asked directing how is this going to work how are you going to do this you know who's going to be impacted by it where are where do they live are they you know just in one area of the country are they urban are they rural are they across the board we need to be engaged in many levels with our elected officials and say this over and over again on this show we have to dig wider we have to dig deeper we have to get the facts, not just the opinions, not just the, the, the rumors and the conspiracy theories that come out of social media. It's, it's okay to hear something on social media and be curious about it. But then it's on us to do the diligence to dig in and find out what the truth is. So, you know, that is something that we need to make sure that we are... Going to be if we're not already doing in much larger numbers uh, as we go past this this election tomorrow, Uh, and once the dust settles and we see see where things lie, that will help guide our strategy in engaging with our elected officials. And speaking on the subject of engaging with our elected officials, particularly at the state and local level. uh, Keep in mind that elections are a numbers game, uh, as as you probably know, uh, who we vote for is private, and that's why it's a secret ballot. Uh, it is it is not known who each of us individually voted for when we step you know into that voting booth and and mark those circles or you know pull the levers or however your votes get registered, uh, but What is public knowledge is that you voted. There is a count kept of how many people in a given district voted uh, in total and voted by party affiliation, whether it's Democrat, Republican, or Independent. So when elected officials receive uh, requests or complaints or questions from constituents, uh, one of the things that they do, and I, I, I experienced this while years ago working with the NAACP, is they will go and pull the voting numbers for the district uh, that you live in. That's why they ask you for your address. Uh, and they will look and see, you know, not who you voted for because they can't see that, but they will look for how many people voted overall in a district, and when you uh, are an elected official who represents, you know, several towns or several uh, voting districts, you know, in a community, uh, you will pay more attention to a you know community that votes at you know seventy percent rate versus one that votes at twenty five percent, because the the seventy percent uh, area uh, has more impact on getting you elected uh, year over year over year. That's just the way the game works. And, you know, that's why it is so important that you get as many people in your neighborhoods, in your circles, you know, uh, in, your, in your clubs, your fraternities, your union locals, you know, whatever, uh, that you get them out to vote. So that those numbers reflect the concern of the community uh, to elected officials that are looking at them. Because, again, they will pay attention to a high vote rate community uh, much more readily than they will pay attention to a low voter rate community. And, you know, to a a much lesser extent, that applies all the way up the line uh, even to... Uh, to national politics um, you know once we get you know up into those levels though you know, obviously campaign donations uh, sing with a louder voice than just pure voting numbers so it's something to keep in mind we're going to continue this discussion on uh, what to do you know for those of you who are going to be voting in person tomorrow uh, stay tuned we'll be right back
1: after the message this is Morgan Freeman I know that many of you are wondering how soon you'll be able to hug your friends again or visit your parents and grandparents without fear I know that many of you are angered by the ongoing racism in our nation and worried about having a job to repay your student loans and afford the basic needs of life it wasn't long ago that people were beaten and even killed to obtain the sacred power each of you have today, the power to vote. And right now, your vote is more critical than ever. This election is about you and me, your family, and my family, our planet, and our democracy in its entirety. With our votes, we, the people, can begin to overwhelm the unjust political and economic systems that favor profits over people and elect leaders who will take us forward brothers and sisters go vote our lives quite literally depend on it
0: and we're back thank you for that message and we appreciate you are giving it your attention all right let's um, continue Uh, before we get into the remaining two stories that I want to cover in this episode uh, I just want to give you some thoughts uh, again uh, as you for those of you who will be voting in person tomorrow, uh, just some things uh, by way of preparation that you should do uh, before you, you know, head to the polls. Number one, uh, make sure you have you know, proper identification that can prove uh, that you are who you are and that you live where you live uh, based on whatever your state requires. Uh, the second is keep in mind that it is illegal in every state for anyone to interfere with you uh, exercising the process of casting your ballot. Uh, That includes, um, you know, poll workers, unless you have a question for them, uh, poll watchers who are there just as observers, or there may be people, if you've heard in the news, uh, outside of the polling places, engaging in intimidation tactics or just by their presence, trying to intimidate people or questioning Uh, who you are, what your party is, and so forth. You are not required to give them that information. So uh, be focused on getting in and getting your vote cast. That is uh, what is required. Um, Also, it would be good if you study your ballot before you go vote. Uh, If you go to Ballotpedia.org, that's Ballotpedia, B-A-L-L-O-T-P-E-D-I-A, They have a really nice tool uh, that will produce a sample ballot for your voting district based on your address uh, and uh, city and state. Uh, I printed out mine uh, here in uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania, where I live, and I will have that with me when I go vote, even though I know who I'm voting for. It's good to have a reference specifically and especially if there are referendum or um, you know questions on the ballot that you need to answer, make sure that you read and understand those uh, before you go in to cast your vote so that you know exactly what you're voting for and what a yes or a no vote means. So just again, some, some helpful tips for you to take with you uh, to the polling place if you're going to vote in person tomorrow. So uh, getting back to our stories. I came across a story uh, that comes out of Michigan uh, as we we're speaking about uh, referendums and ballot proposals. Uh, there's a story that came from Fox News uh, that uh, titled Deceptively Worded Michigan Ballot Proposal Will Effectively Ban Voter ID in the State, critics say. And it's referring to a, um, a proposition or a proposal on the Michigan ballot called Proposal 2. Which, uh, according to the articles, uh, voters are being presented with a ballot measure in the upcoming midterm that critics told Fox News Digital is being packaged by supporters as an electri- an election safeguard, but in actuality is a measure that will effectively ban true voter ID laws and open the state up to voter fraud. Uh, I'm going to go through the article, uh, the the at least majority of it and then I'm actually going to go through what the proposal text says so that we can compare and contrast. Uh, it says voters will head to the polls in Michigan on Tuesday to determine the fate of Michigan Proposal 2 backed by the voting rights group Promote the Vote which is described the measure as a constitutional amendment that will enshrine voter protections including voter ID into the state's constitution and recognize a fundamental right to vote without harassing con- conduct. Critics of the measure, uh, including uh, Jason Sneed, executive director of the Honest Elections project, project, told Fox News Digital that the measure will effectively ban photo ID requirements at polling places. Currently, Michigan require- voters are required by law to provide a photo ID or sign a sworn affidavit as to who they are. Promote the Vote is uh, taking the existing law which has a huge carve-out with that affidavit standard that essentially swallows the rules so it's an optional photo ID rather than a requirement to show photo ID and they and they are putting it into the Constitution and that will prevent legislature from ever actively requiring Uh, that a mandatory ID be shown in order to cast a ballot. Um, Another uh, person, Harris von Spakowski, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies, told Fox News Digital he agrees with Sneed's conclusion that any future law mandating voters show a photo ID would be unconstitutional if the proposal passes. Uh, He further says, it guts the ID requirement by saying that a voter can vote if he or she simply signs a form claiming they are who they say they are. Put a pin in that, we're going to come back to it. Um, The proposal is deceptively worded to make voters believe that they're voting in favor of an ID requirement with the sponsors hoping the voters won't notice that it says you can get around it with a signature. So, Put a pin in that paragraph. We're going to come back to it. um So you know it, it continues on and says, you know, according to Michigan State Senator Ruth Johnson, who said about the proposal, they've spent a lot of money telling us that it's going to put ID in our constitution, but what they forgot to tell you is that there is a little quote or uh, they name all of these different IDs you can use or none at all. Uh, so. You know, the, the article talks about this proposal uh, in, the, in the vein that uh, it is weakening the ID laws by, you know, basically giving people an out. Uh, so I went to uh, the Ballotpedia website where you can find, as I said, uh, text of initiatives and all kinds of, of things. And here it has the text of Michigan Proposal 2 and and basically what the result is. Uh, If you vote yes, a yes vote supports adding several election and voting related policies to the Michigan Constitution including some policies that exist in statute and others which would be new. Proposal 2 would add the following policies to the state Constitution. It would create a nine-day early voting period, Requiring voters to present photo identification or sign an affidavit when voting in person or applying for an absentee ballot. Remember that item I said to put a pin in. That's what that's what they say when the facts are that it actually requires a photo identification be presented, but it gives you an option to apply for. A or to apply for and sign an affidavit, which you have to swear to under law, uh, when you sign it, uh, if you are voting in person. Uh, going back, requiring that military and overseas ballots postmarked by election day are counted, providing voters with a right to request an absentee ballot, requiring the state to f- uh, fund prepaid stamps and a tracking system. On absentee ballots, uh, requiring the state to fund a number of absentee ballot drop boxes, providing that local government can accept charitable and in-kind donations to assist with running elections as long as donations are disclosed and aren't from foreign entities and providing that election officials are responsible for election audits requiring election audits to be conducted in public and requiring election results to be certified based on the votes cast. Proposal 2 would also add constitutional language saying that harassing, threatening, or intimidating conduct as well as laws, regulations, and practices that have the intent or effect of denying, abridging, interfering with, or unreasonably burdening the fundamental right to vote are prohibited. And it goes on to say a no vote opposes adding these uh, election and voting related policies to the Michigan Constitution. So compare and contrast. In the article, it says that uh, it basically uh, eliminates the requirement for a photo ID. The text of the measure specifically says that it, uh, where was it? requires requiring voters to present photo identification or sign an affidavit when voting in person or applying for an absentee ballot. So um, you know, fact check that that Fox is spinning that one loosely, uh, you know, downplaying that or, And downplaying that the document that you uh, simply have to sign is actually an affidavit, which you are swearing and attesting to be truth, truthful and complete under law. So there is penalty for lying on that affidavit, you know, and the other one, the other point that the article raised is that uh, this proposal would be a recipe for voter fraud uh, and Candace Miller Michigan's Republican Secretary of State from nineteen ninety five to two thousand three told Fox Digital um, you know it they're they're citing that the ability you have to uh, as they said quote sign a document close quote, leaving out the part that it is an affidavit which is a sworn document and is legally uh, binding to you uh, would you know, open up the doors for widespread voter fraud. Um, and this from, you know, the Republican Party that made such a big to-do about voter fraud in the 2020 election with, you know, fake ballots and, and all of this stuff. So, you know, the, the truth is, is that, you know, you have to swear to an affidavit that you are who you say you are. The last piece that I asked you to push Put opinion was the piece about uh, harassing, threatening, or intimidating conduct. So again, as we've seen in the news uh, in in recent weeks and, and perhaps over the last month, uh, we've had uh, groups uh, dressed up in you know fatigues and you know bulletproof vests, and, and in some cases being armed uh, with assault rifles. Uh, standing outside of polling places uh, in, in some areas, observing and put that in air quotes, ballot box or drop boxes in other areas, just standing and, and being a presence, which is a form of intimidation. Uh, there have been reports in the news about uh, people uh, asking people in line uh, whether they are Democrat or Republican, uh, who they are voting, for, you know, who what party are they voting with? Um, not not who there are you voting for, but just what party are you here to vote for? And you know, that, too, is a form of intimidation. Uh, what party you vote with and who you vote for are your business. It is not the business of anybody else other than you and your ballot. So, you know, don't let anybody stop you or, or uh, inquire uh, things about, you know, who you're there to vote for and so forth. That is a violation of uh, state law and federal law everywhere in the country. So, you know, uh, again, this goes, you know, to explain and in and, and my reading of it, I think it actually does strengthen uh, and codify the important parts of securing the election process in Michigan. So, you know, Fox News, uh, you know. Fact check and fact check fail, in my opinion. All right. So the last article that I wanted to talk about is and this one comes out of Louisiana. And uh, this comes from uh, a, a uh, division of NBC News. And it says uh, Louisiana evokes blood purity laws in new effort to undercut black votes. Now, this one um, I find, you know, somewhat disturbing uh, because it harkens back to things that we went through as a country uh, under the auspices of of segregation and Jim Crow laws. Uh, So this came from Max Burns, who's a Democratic strategist with NBC. And uh, the article says, and and again, I'll, I'll hit the high points. Ahead of Tuesday's midterm elections, Republicans in many parts of the country have worked to limit access to the ballot box for many individuals. But in Louisiana, they've succeeded in erasing an entire congressional district, one that not surprisingly would have gone to the Democrats. This egregious disenfranchisement, which hinges on an odious redefining of black identity to narrow the pool of black voters, has flown too far under the radar, even as control of the U.S. House hangs in the balance. Uh, Louisiana Republicans are trying to minimize the number of black voters who count as, well, black. However, these these legislators are still governed by a provision of the Voting Rights Act that requires minority opportunity districts, And those are congressional districts in which in which at least half of the voting age population is a minority group. Uh, In practice, opportunity districts ensure that black and other minority voters who may not otherwise constitute a majority in any one district, even as they make up a significant part of the state population, have a voice in Congress. Um, After the redistricting process following the 2020 census, the new black I'm sorry the new population figures showed that the black population in Louisiana had increased while the white population had decreased to the extent that a second majority minority district was needed in the 6th district state but the GOP dominated legislature didn't create one Democratic governor John Bell Edwards vetoed the legislature's congressional maps for lacking a second minority majority district only to have Republicans in the state house override the veto and enact them anyway. So what this means is that, um, you know, they. The, the redistricting was drawn to uh, dilute the black population. And in one strategy, they were going to add a, an additional district and blend in, uh, you know, black and white registered or residents into those districts in order to, again, dilute the uh, impact of black and other minority voters. And this is a direct violation of one of the remaining provisions of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which requires these minority opportunity districts that is Uh, districts that make that are made up of a minority group that tends to vote as a cohesive unit. Uh, So merely for the purpose of diluting that vote. So, um, you know, and and as one as one individual cited, this is Jim Crow era stuff. A state with a black population of over 30 percent has a single black member of Congress. And that's according to Sophia Nelson, an attorney admitted to the bar of the Supreme Court. Um, Southern states with large black populations want to control where the black voters are represented and how. It keeps power in the white hands, not in black ones. Uh, Yet the article continues, if Louisiana's legal challenge uh, is successful... It could be seized on far beyond the state to further erode the potency of the black vote and racial self-determination of black Americans. By stripping blackness from multiracial Americans, the state is claiming a sweeping authority over the identities of the residents. That is such a power that I'm sorry, that such a power is used to dilute the voting power of black voters is a shocking abuse of state power. At the same time, the weakened voter—I'm sorry—the weakened voting power of Black Louisianans makes it difficult to elect public officials willing to reform such a broken system. You know, so uh, again, as I was saying, it's—it is part of an ongoing, uh, wide-ranging effort to uh, dilute, disenfranchise. Uh, and, and otherwise minimize the, the minority vote, not just black, but the minority voting power uh, that is growing in this country. Um, so the, the article continues, sadly, Louisiana's efforts to police race stretch far past the Jim Crow era. As recently as in 1970, the state passed what became known as the Black Blood Law a much maligned effort to mathematically determine race. That law determined a Louisianan to be white if he or she possessed 1 or less of Negro blood. Lawmakers had originally planned on a more generous 1 16th rule, but white legislatures, led, legislators balked. 1 um, 16th of your blood being black would, or, or more would determine you as being black. That, that's the gist of what that is. Louisiana's blood law, belatedly repealed in 1983 as a national embarrassment, was at the same time considered a step forward over the South's previous regime, the one-drop rule. Under that system, Louisianans with even one drop of black blood Were classified as black. The rule became a sledgehammer for the restriction of voting access, property rights, and a host of other civil liberties. Today by holding black representation below its natural level, Republicans in Louisiana and other states can maintain deeply lopsided governing majorities and by challenging existing definitions of quote blackness they can continue to distort fair and accurate representation in Congress. The result is a government that does not reflect its citizenry and a minority population that feels Republicans are attempting to eliminate their voices from the governing process. Now, so <laughs> that, that that last part speaks for itself, that there is a concerted effort being led by one political party, Republicans, to uh, eliminate the voices of minority constituents from representation uh, at the national level in the House and in the Senate. Uh, This should not come as a surprise to anyone. Uh, This is something that we have been talking about here on this show for many, many months. Um, But... It is also something that the, the voting population of this country desperately needs, and, and desperately is not the right word, definitely needs to address in the strongest terms possible. Uh, as we say, we need to be communicating the message to our elected officials, even to, you know, particularly if you're talking in the Senate, even if your elected official is a Republican uh, and you're a Democrat, uh, if they are your elected representative, then y- you have the right to talk to them and bring your grievances to them and make sure that uh, they are doing their effort to try and address them. So this is you know, part and parcel of our role as citizens in this country. And you know, given the the changes that we might see coming after tomorrow's vote. Uh, This process will become more and more critical and one that we need to become more and more adept and familiar and uh, expert at. So just some food for thought. All right. Uh, We're going to round out this segment of the show. As I said, I've given you some tips, you know, at at the start of this segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about. Uh, tomorrow and the midterms, uh, what we need to make sure that we're doing as citizens and particularly as voters. So, you know, tomorrow is Election Day. For those of you, and and again, there's almost 41.9 million who have already uh, voted either through early voting or in mail-in voting. For the rest of us who are registered to vote, We need to make sure that we we get ourselves to that polling place and cast our ballot. Uh, If if the the current extreme right wing policies uh, are bothersome to you, whether you're a Democrat, independent or, you know, even Republican, if you know, if if you don't like the direction that that segment of the Republican Party is trying to take. A, the party, and B, the country, then it behooves you to get out and vote for the change you want to happen. Um, you know, it, it is clear that, as I said at the top, um, Republicans are highly indicated that they will take over the House of Representatives, which means that you know, the Speaker of the House could be Kevin McCarthy or you know, someone similar. Uh, which will spell uh, some, some very challenging times for women, and minorities, uh, and poor people in this country uh, for the next two years. Uh, in addition, you know, should the Republicans gain control of the Senate, uh, then those problems will be exacerbated to another level, because Republicans will then have uh, two of the three steps they need to enact uh, sweeping changes to social, uh, economic, and domestic policy here in this country. And they've already made it clear that you know, they are going to come for the remaining uh, privacy rights that have been protected under the 14th Amendment, uh, much as they did with uh, with abortion, with the Dobbs decision, you know, we've talked about ones where they are coming after, you know, affirmative action admissions. We talked about that in our last podcast. Uh, that they are coming after uh, the individual rights of certain groups in this country, such as the LGBTQ plus, you know, and and uh, same sex marriage. Um, even so far as interracial marriage is something that could be under consideration for being addressed by the Republican Party, uh, there's going to be a widespread um, reckoning by conservatives, uh, particularly the ultra-right uh, wing of, of the conservative party, uh, at placing Not only women as second class citizens even more, uh, but to disenfranchise, um, disempower uh, black, Hispanic, uh, Asian and other minorities uh, and do whatever they deem is necessary to to turn this into a very different America than it is today. So. You know, if even if you're Republican and, you know, if you disagree with the policies that are being driven by the MAGA wing of the party, if you disagree with the elimination of, you know, certain programs, uh, remember, if they get rid of or place on the five year rotation, Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid, that's not just going to affect uh the, the poor people and the people of color in this country, it's going to impact uh, white people in, you know, urban and suburban areas in rural communities. It's going to affect all of us. You know, it is not going to stop at at affecting Democrats only. It's going to affect the entire population. So if your grandmother or grandfather, or your aunts or uncles or your parents are on you know, Social Security, are on Medicare or Medicaid, or are shortly to be eligible for them, these proposed changes that the Republicans have publicly made will impact them and will impact them drastically. Uh, it will impact their ability, essentially, to live. If, if they live on Social Security and Social Security is voted out in in five years, where's that money going to come from? Well, it's going to come from their, their children, their families,